Spire. Welcome back to Starting Now. I'm your host, Jeff Saris. This is the show where I talk to entrepreneurs about the unexpected paths to entrepreneurship. Today, my guest is Justin Mayers. In the last five years, Justin has started not one, but two successful product companies in Kettle and Fire and Perfect Keto. Kettle and Fire being the phenomenal bone broth company that you've probably seen their broth in Whole Foods and a bunch of other places. But he combined his passion for health and wellness. He saw an opportunity and he ran with it. Uh, Kettle and Fire started as a side project just five years ago. He is an entrepreneur through and through. He is constantly coming up with ideas, launching new side hustles. Some of those become businesses like Kettle and Fire and Perfect Keto. Others just remain a side hustle. He might sell them off um, later on or he might stick with them as long as he's still passionate about the idea. So this is a great conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And I think it's really going to inspire you to get started on your next idea. So without further ado, my conversation with Justin Mayers. Yeah, like I appreciate you doing this, like taking the time out of your day. And where are you at right now? Uh, I'm in Austin, Texas. We've been, um, my girlfriend and I have been bouncing around to different mountain towns for all summer. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so this is like finally back in Austin after five and a half months, which has been, um, the, the summer was so fun. And then literally on the drive from Sun Valley, Idaho, back to Austin, uh, the two of us got COVID. <laughs> oh, geez. So, yeah. yeah. So we came back to Austin. It's like immediately got COVID, quarantined. So um, yesterday was the last day of our quarantine, fortunately. <laughs> oh, okay. So what yeah. was that like then? Oh, uh, it's fine. I mean, I think it was like, it was like a cold flu thing for two days. And like, I, I still probably sound a little congested, uh, but for the most part, I was like, fine. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. And was it something where did you notice the symptom? Did you just sort of say, Hey, I have a cold, let me get checked. Or was there something that yeah. you're like, this is different than normal? No, I thought it was being a crazy hypochondriac, but I was like, yeah, you know, I'm like, I have all these plans with people. I'll just like get a test quickly just to make sure, um, you know, cause I had like a, a tiny bit of a sore throat. Uh, mm-hmm. and then I got a test and I was positive. I was like, Oh fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> See friends in two weeks. <laughs> uh huh. Definitely. So yeah. So you yeah. were on the road for uh, you said five and a half months. Yeah. Just it was awesome. about. Yeah. So what kind of places yeah. were you going to? Man. So we did. Um. And and all the credit goes to my girlfriend, but she like organized all this. But we we were basically we had like a pod of people. Like uh, we went to Leavenworth, Washington, which is a small mountain town in the Cascades, with like eighteen other people. And then we went to Tahoe. That was for a month. And then. Tahoe for two months and like hosted a bunch of people there that were kind of like in their own little COVID pods and made local <laughs> friends. Uh, and then we went up to Bend and then we went to McCall, Idaho, and then Sun Valley, Idaho for nice. another five weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. You're all over the place. And I mean, that yeah. is that no, maybe not nomadic, but we're at a time where like van life and all of these things are really just, just blowing up. Um, do you oh, see... Sure. Do you see doing that more frequently, like being out on the road for extended periods? I think it, probably not on the not like the van life thing, but I think we would do the communal living thing uh, for sure. Like I think mm-hmm. that next summer, there's a good chance that we try and like replicate a similar thing. Uh, it was yeah. just like so fun. I mean, we were like living in you know with or very close to very good friends. We would like bike, go camping, eat every almost every meal together. Um, it was just like a lot of fun. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, do you, so what do you envision then if you're doing that next year? Like sort of similar to this year, is it going to be different? Because communal living feels like even like an investment, like diving into a space maybe. Totally. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, we're in Austin. And so fortunately, mm-hmm. uh, if you want to look at it this way, the summers are so terrible that like <laughs> it gives us like a easy out. And so I think that we will probably look at like going to another mountain town, getting uh, 15-ish to maybe 20 people to like opt in, get Airbnbs for one to three months in uh, the same like neighborhood area, whatever, and then just like hang out for most of the summer. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of the 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 initial plan, I think, that we're, we're starting to think about. Oh, yeah. I mean, that sounds fun. Sounds like a great idea because really it's that totally. community. You In Austin, you yeah. have a community of entrepreneurs and things, but then getting yeah. together with the people you know all over the place. Like that's yeah. probably much more rare, much more uncommon just in your like day-to-day life. Yeah, hundred percent. And like half of my friends in Austin are gone for the summer anyway. No one, oh, okay. no one does anything outside. So it's just like, it's a perfect time to get up, you know? <laughs> Definitely. So, <huge>. And <laughs> so you started in, well, started. Actually, why don't we just rewind a bunch? What's your origin story? So you've started a couple hundred million dollar companies. You have Perfect Keto, you have Kettle and Fire, you've done myriad other projects which i didn't even know i mean when i i was like let me see who started kettle and fire i hadn't really known anything about you until i just started diving in because i don't know i like to to find the different paths like so my sort of premise here is the unexpected paths to entrepreneurship to sort of talk to Mm -hmm. people and see how they approach getting started building something and no matter what scale um our scale obviously is tiny like minimalist like very lean but you've gone the intentional Oh yeah, definitely. But then you've gone consumer packaged goods, very big, like very successful. So I'm excited to dive in, but what's your origin story? Where did you, were you always entrepreneurial? Where'd you grow up? Yeah. So I grew up in uh, the Northern Virginia area. Uh, I would say that I was not necessarily always entrepreneurial, but I kind of went through this weird phase, my like freshman year of high school, where uh, basically I I, like had a tremendous number of life events happen, like pretty much everything that could happen. Uh, happened to me, went to college, broke up with a girlfriend, had like uh, some personal, like depressing stuff happen. And my dad got laid off in like 2009. Um, and and my family moved from Northern Virginia to a thriving metropolis called Schwenksville, Pennsylvania, uh, which is <laughs> a tiny town. And so like after growing up with like best friend, girlfriend, like all this sort of thing in Northern Virginia um, and, and having a strong community, I like shot up to college in Pittsburgh and then went to family moved to Schwenksville. And so uh, that that summer I kind of came back and I was like, okay, my dad spent his entire life working as a, a CPA, like doing a big corporate thing, good worker, hard worker in the office, early leaves late, like, and he got laid off. Um, I found myself like I didn't have any friends in Schwenksville. Uh, I didn't know anyone for like 50, 75 miles. And I, uh, I like had to do something. I had to get a job. And so that summer, I was literally like plastering pools, uh, which is one of the worst, more challenging <laughs> jobs that I think you can get. Uh, and then I was a janitor at LA Fitness. And so coming out of the, like between those two jobs, I was like, man, I really need to do something that is like compelling and interesting and like something that I actually get excited about. Cause like, this is really soul crushing. Uh, and so that's when I started like reading a little bit online about, uh, first kind of started from the making money online um thing like reading about people you know like tim ferris for our work week like uh that sort of crowd and then i gradually got more and more interested in uh entrepreneurship as not only a a way to like 
make money and support yourself, but also as like a, a lever that you, a tool to make change in the world. Um, and then I started, I like eventually launched my first business in college. Um, totally didn't work. And then, uh, it, it was what a, kind of business was, was that? Yeah. So it was like the ultimate college business, which is everyone thinks it's a good idea. It's actually a terrible idea, but we were doing, um, eHarmony for roommates. The business was called roommate fit. I had a bad freshman roommate. I was like, Oh, this should be a problem that's solved. Um, cause in college you've experienced like four problems and you think all of them should be solved. <laughs> um, and so I started this company called roommate fit. Uh, we made a thousand dollars in revenue over the entirety of the business. Uh, but we had one college that paid us. I lost the check that they sent us uh, for <laughs> revenue. So they dinged me a $15 reissue fee and like we made 985 in revenue, I think was our <laughs> final, uh, final tally. But the fortunate thing with that is like, I was just in the game. I was like talking to people. I was talking to other entrepreneurs about my terrible little business. Uh, I was meeting people in the Pittsburgh entrepreneurship community and ended up meeting like other people, a guy that I eventually co-founded another business with that then like moved to San Francisco, met this other guy who was like 37 or 38 and started multiple businesses um, and was just super successful. And so when I graduated college, I was pretty much like, don't really want to do this shitty business that I started in college anymore. Uh, I want to work with someone that like knows what they were doing. And fortunately, this guy was in the process of buying a couple different SaaS businesses. Um, he was like, do you want to come like grow, be the marketing sales, like support person, uh, like that handles that side of the business. I was like, sure, seems way over my head, but I'm willing to learn from you. Uh, so moved to Las Vegas, built out a team. Uh, and did that for about a year until like that, that business was acquired by a company called Rackspace in 2013, I believe. Nice. Yeah. So that's the, that got me to San Francisco. That's like my compressed start <laughs> of entrepreneurship kind of story. <laughs> Definitely. And in San Francisco then is, did you jump from, um, so the Rackspace acquisition and then somewhere between there, you got to Kettle and Fire, which is the first yeah. big hit, but also you have you have some smaller projects and things you've done along the way too, right? I mean, so yeah. one of the things I found really exciting that that I find exciting is the idea, like you, you are an idea guy, it seems like, which is yeah, sort of, I always, sure. I've always felt that way too. But um, yeah. interestingly with, with age, I feel like that's diminished for me. Like sort of earlier right. on, I was much more like going, 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 but I think I got more into operations, um, hmm. even though... I mean, I still have ideas all the time, but I don't feel yeah. as like sort of in on the like finger on the pulse as I was earlier on. So I was excited yeah. to talk to you sort of about ideas and things, how you discover your ideas, like sort of it, it just comes from your day to day, I'm sure. But I, I was just sort of thinking about diving into that, like where the ideas come from, but also how you identify an idea being good, being potential for having a potential for pursuing and um, how you look yeah. at it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in the in the kettle and fire case specifically, uh, so kind of like left Rackspace after the acquisition, decided selling to, like software to software developers was not what I wanted to do with my whole life. Um, cool for people that want to do it, not really for me. Uh, and so that's when I was like looking around um, at different ideas that I could start. And kettle and fire, like specifically, the I was getting very very into health, was in a paleo, was doing CrossFit, like all this kind of stuff, and uh, bone broth was just something that like kept coming up. Like people kept talking about this as like, oh, I've been using it for my recovery, for my joint health, for gut issues, whatever it is. 
and literally like going out there uh, when I was like, cool, I want to buy this and experience this product for myself. Uh, there was literally nothing that was like high quality, grass fed, you know, use long cook times, all the stuff that I cared about. And so uh, I, I thought it would be like a, had the potential to be a decent side business. But what I think I did pretty well with that and like have since done, um, you know, with, with other things that I've started is like, as soon as I had the idea, I was like, okay, let me actually test this and see if it works. And so in, in our case, what we did, or what I did is like spun up a really shitty landing page. Uh, it was like literally laughably, hilariously bad. Um, <laughs> and put it up on Unbounce, uh, bought some AdWords for people who were like searching bone broth on Bing. Uh, and I think spent like 80 or $100 on Bing AdWords and made $500 selling a product that didn't exist for $29.99 a box. And if you've seen our boxes, like they're, they're <laughs> like, you know, a pound, like $60. Uh -huh. These are not like, Thirty dollars for a box, um, but what for me that validated was that there are enough people that were searching for this product, and that were excited to like have bone broth just made for them with high quality sources. They don't have to worry about all the all the negatives uh, that go into making that product yourself. That there was a material like business opportunity here, and so uh, I think getting that validation and seeing like, oh wow, I can uh, like if we make this product. We should be able to sell enough to like build a material business that's at the very least in the hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Um, that really kind of gave me the motivation and, and validation to be like, okay, let's take the next 10 steps uh, for, for what it'll take to build this business. Yeah. So in those first steps, was it just you? Were you with a co-founder, with a team? Like, how were you approaching that? Yeah. So my, uh, my co-founder is also my brother. And so mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, my brother, Nick, he was... 18 years old when I was like playing around with this idea. And he kind of seen like the entrepreneurship stuff that I'd done. He'd read some books I'd recommended. He'd read four hour work week. And he like didn't really have the best grades to be honest. And so <laughs> he was kind of like, I'm down to take a gap year and like e explore this entrepreneurship path a little bit. Um, and so we were like, okay, let's, you know, mom, dad, give Nick a gap year. Great. Cool. You're, you're okay with that. You're not going <laughs> to kill Justin. Um, let's go figure out this path and we can make this like bone broth thing a business. And so uh, we started working on it uh, pretty shortly after I validated it. Uh, and he was like in charge of sourcing a, a manufacturer that could actually make the product. And I was doing a lot of the like marketing, like sort of all the, all the things that go into building a business uh, outside of like the actual product. And so mm -hmm. the two of us worked together, took about eight to 10 months uh, to get the first product out the door. And yeah, and then we launched in August of 2015. Yeah, how hard was it to source? Brutal. <laughs> um, because like no, like you said, I mean, because we come from the paleo space, we built a platform called Paleo Porn. We've done a lot just over the years, mm -hmm. and there wasn't uh, around that time there wasn't easy access to grass-fed beef and pasture-raised pork and things that that were sort of the staples that we were transitioning to as people yeah. who were pursuing paleo. So how did you how did you approach that, and how did you <laughs> meet those challenges. It was, brutal. it was brutal. So we, uh, yeah, it was, it was a big challenge. I mean, there were, there were a couple of challenges. Like there's the sourcing aspect, uh, which we found a, a sort of collective of ranchers that were using hundred percent grass fed grass finished practices. Uh, we found them relatively early, which was good. Then finding a co-packer that would actually like make the product and cook it for 24 plus hours. Uh, that was the really challenging part. And so we actually 
emailed or called uh, nearly 500 different co-packers to try and find one that could like make a product to our specs using long cook times, using these like bones that would be shipped in and everything. Um, didn't find one. And so uh, after like literally months of searching, Nick, my brother, uh, emailed Mark Cuban from Shark Tank and was like, hey, I'm like a young entrepreneur. I'm really trying to figure out like where we could source this product. We've like validated it. We know people want it. Um, and Mark Cuban put us in touch with this food person who then introduced us to our co-packer that we like still work with today. So that's awesome. Mark Cuban kind of sourced <laughs> us, our, uh, our manufacturing partner, which was pretty amazing. <laughs> did you did you or your brother have any common uh, no, connections? That's awesome. Straight up I mean, Cuban sounds like a great guy. Like I, I yeah. talked to um, Chris from the Lawn Hairs, who actually they are one of Cuban's uh, Shark Tank deals. I talked to him a while back, cool. and I'd known him for a while. And everything I hear, I mean, he, he, he just seems like a great person. Like he's actually there to help people. Not, totally. Yeah, not yeah. just. I mean, it's it's funny. I have a, a guy that I lived with in Pittsburgh actually, who has another company called the Zebra. Uh, did the same thing. He like cold emailed Mark Cuban. They went back and forth with eight emails and Mark Cuban was like, yeah, I'll invest 100K and just wired them the money. It's like, never got on the phone, never did anything. Just yeah. back and forth. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you then, you started Kettle and Fire. How long did it take to, let's see. Well, I guess I should just ask, how many employees are you looking at today? What what size is the company? Because I know the revenues are doing really well, but um, yeah. actual staff and things, what does that look like? Yeah, so we're uh, we're at 32 people. So we, we try and keep it like relatively lean for the size of the business. Uh, I think that, you know, there, there's a lot of different ways you can run a business. Like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with brand lists, um, but they were like yeah, a big soft bank backed, like everything is $5 or $3, <laughs> whatever uh, company that launched. Anyway, they like launched, raised $250 million, a $500 million valuation, burned through it all, and they just sold the business for $750,000. Uh, to somebody, which is a pretty brutal <laughs> thing <laughs> yeah. that you get when you're losing money. And so we've kind of tried to be a little more like lean, profitable for the most part. We've raised, uh, you know, we've raised like 18 or $19 million um, overall, but like most of that was in one round after we were profitable. Uh, and so even though, I don't know, I, I probably would laugh at myself saying like, if I heard myself three years ago being like, Oh, this guy who's raised eighteen million dollars is saying he runs a lean business. Like, what an <laughs> idiot! Uh, but I think like we try, we try and keep it relatively lean, and so we're just mm -hmm. at thirty-two and like focused on profitability. Yeah. So I mean, raising money though, would you say is that's necessary when you have a packaged good, a consumer packaged good company? Because you need the actual product before you can. I mean, yeah. Terms and everything of like CPG don't really play to your favor. They play to the retailers, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's brutal. I mean, you basically like, I remember early on in our business, we had, um, one of our advisors who'd been in this CPG space for a while. Uh, he and I were meeting and I was kind of like, you know, we're, we're, we're doing super well. Like we had a great month last month. This month's going to beat it. looks like next month is going to be even better. Um, and he was kind of like, how much money do you have in the bank? And I was like, oh, it's like higher than it's ever been. And, and I was, and I was kind of walking him through the numbers and he was like, you guys are about to run out of money and like go out of business. And I was like, what do you mean? We're doing so well. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like in CPG, like if you're growing, I think that year we grew 3X. Um, if you're growing at that pace, like not only, you know, not only this month, do you have to replace the inventory that you sold last month, 
you also have to build inventory for like the next one to two months of sales, which is just a tremendous amount of cash out the gate. And so we faced a, a decision in 2018 where it was like, okay, we are, I think we just hit like 10 million in revenue or so. And we had this decision of like, we can really go for this. Like we can say, we think bone broth can be a big category. We think that kettle and fire can be a big brand. We think we can move into like more consumer households and we can really go for it. Or we can sort of like slow down, not raise money, try and slow growth. Um, and, and, you know, do that. And ultimately we decided like, we think this is a big enough category and opportunity that raising money really going for it uh, and trying to reach more people was the appropriate move for the business. And so we, yeah, so we raised, um, raised 16 million in 2018. Yeah. So, and at that point you already had two companies going because perfect keto was shortly <laughs> after kettle and fire, right? Yes. Yeah, so we launched perfect keto in early 2017. So that was, that's a lot on your plate. I mean, let alone all the other things, all the other side projects, which we haven't even touched on yet, but what was the impetus for diving in? Cause obviously bone broth keto, I mean, they make sense together, but yeah. what was the impetus to start an entirely separate company? Yeah, it was pretty, uh, unwise in a lot of ways, <laughs> uh, I'd say, uh, I, I probably should have been a lot more strategic about it than I was, but I think that the, the thing was in 2016, um, kettle and fire was about a year old and it was like doing really well but we'd never raised any money. We were profitable. And it was still pretty unclear to me, like how big this category can get. And so uh, I kind of like one of my friends, Anthony, who I ended up starting Perfect Keto with, the two of us were kind of like getting more into keto. We were seeing our friends talk about it. We were seeing like uh, the kind of the wave coming. And we were like, you know, let's, we, we we're like, we're friends. Let's launch a little side project together and use that to like fund a trip to Japan. And like, if we make 20 grand next year on this little side project, we're going to like push it all towards a Japan trip, fall out, have fun. It'll be like a cool thing we can do. And so we decided to launch Perfect Keto as a side project and it just like took off on us. Like we launched at the beginning of 2017, uh, 2017 was an insane year. And then 2018 Keto really blew up. And like, that was an even crazier year. And so, uh, it was just a wild ride and like you know at the end of it uh i found myself with like two very real companies uh on my hands which was yeah. uh, unexpected and not <laughs> not necessarily planned uh so yeah managing that has been a lot over the last two years <laughs> yeah i could imagine what type of involvement like what does a day-to-day -day look like for you now it's changed a lot i think uh i think with kettle and fire like once we raised money sort of my goal was uh we had to build out like an executive team we had to you know, it was like, okay, we're raising this money we're going all in on this. Uh, and so at Perfect Keto, like I took a big step back, tried to build out an executive team there so that I didn't have like day-to-day -day responsibilities necessarily. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that's worked relatively well. Like we're uh, we're still learning a lot. Still the business is like, still got a lot, lot to figure out. But for the most part, I'm operating more as a board member advisor uh, in that business than anyone who's like, in the trenches day to day. Yeah. So yeah. being the idea guy, do you feel better being at that role rather than like sort of more in the operator that you might've been in the early days? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's kind of hard in, in some ways it's like, there's, there's like anything, there's trade-offs. And I think that, you know, one of the trade-offs to being, um, the idea guy, if you want to call it that, 
is like you don't get to work in the trenches with people that you really like the most fun I have is like in the trenches with people I like kind of like working and I get to interact with them on a day-to-day basis. Uh, the less, the more removed you are from the day-to-day, the more challenging it is to figure out like how you deliver value. Um, and, and you have to get really good at a couple of things. Like I've found that the less in the day-to-day I am, the more I have to get good at like having persuasive conversations, trying to figure out strategy and trying to like recruit higher people and just like put the pieces together. Like, whereas in the day-to-day, like a kettle on fire, for example, we made an early hire, hired a COO, he didn't really work. And so like that, I, but I was like in the trenches, I could see he wasn't working part of ways after, you know, a couple of months. Um, when you're just kind of more removed, you're sort of trying to like assemble the parts and you're not really going to have a great sense of like how well these are working, uh, which can just make it more challenging. Uh, in general. So I think, yeah, there's pluses and minuses. You do get to do more cool stuff, but you also get like fewer hours interacting with people that are actually doing the work, uh, which part, large part of me still enjoys. Oh yeah, for sure. And so it sounds like in your off hours, let's say you have, you acquire other companies, you've started other projects that you see. Yeah. How is that going? Like with all the balance of everything and, and what are some of those projects? It's good. Uh, it's, it's fun. I think that like, I think that in general, um, I really enjoy this, like have an idea, execute on it. It's sort of like making, it's like art or like a, a game in some way. It's like very fun. And so, uh, so as far as other projects, like partner and I have acquired kind of two Shopify apps, one of which we sold recently, but like small kind of software apps on the Shopify app store that where we reach out to the founder said, Hey, we think this is a cool idea. We can help blow this up um, and ended up buying it and, and running that asset. Uh, so that's been a side project. Also recently launched, um, or I guess earlier this year, launched uh, something called the Weight Loss Challenge uh, or the Wearable Challenge, where basically, have you heard of Levels Health by chance? No, I haven't. So it's a it's like a continuous glucose monitor. So you like plug it into your mm. arm, you like put it in a little needle in your arm uh, <laughs> and it tells you like what your blood glucose is. And so I created this, uh, this challenge, like started on Twitter and enough people took me up on it that we did it. Now we're on our fourth cohort where people would pledge $850. Uh, and for a month they would have to wear this like continuous glucose monitor. And every time they had a day where their blood glucose stayed under 120, uh, something milliliters per (laughs) decimal something, um, it's like below this 120 mark. Um, they basically would get $25 of their initial bet paid back to them. And so the, the idea was like, you want, you're someone who wants to lose weight or you want to try going keto, or you want to try making some big behavioral change, like put your money where your mouth is. We'll give you this device that will help track how compliant you are. And then we'll pay you for every day that you're staying in compliance. Um, and so we ran that side project. Uh, it's now, yeah, fourth cohort. It's been super fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's another sad thing. And then the last one that I'm, uh, kind of involved with is, uh, helped start a nonprofit called help kitchen, uh, where basically we pair people that are in need of a meal, like struggling with food insecurity. Uh, there's been a massive amount of them, um, the people with that need since COVID began, uh, we pair them with a local restaurant for where, you know, they can go pick up a meal for free, all covered by donor dollars. And so we fed, uh, 300,000 or so people since the start of COVID. That's uh, so those are kind of the side things. <laughs> yeah. I just have to ask, how do you balance all that? I mean, that seems like so much. I mean, you would probably have to work with like 
be diligent about finding the right partners and things, I assume. Um, yeah. How do you, yeah. Managing your yeah. time. Yeah. It's, it's mostly partners. Um, I think it's mostly partners. It's mostly like bringing in the right people. Uh, and then also being very like intentional. Uh, like, I think that, I think that one thing that is true is a lot of people will like, I, I used to work in, excuse me, at Rackspace, which was like a fortune 2000 or four, 5,000 company, something like that. Uh, big publicly traded company. And I would roll into the office and some people would show up at work at nine. They would be on phone calls until five and then they'd leave. And like, I'm pretty sure that that person is not getting anything done. Yeah. And so <laughs> what I would do or what, what I take care to do is like every single morning, uh, I don't schedule any calls before uh, noon my time zone. So I can get like a three to five hour chunk of work done. Uh, and then I generally only do calls on like Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so even though I'm like doing a lot, it's a lot of partners and a lot of like me trying to make time and space uh, for myself to like go heads down on some of these things. Um, and then the last thing I'll say on that too is like these things look, it, it's like really fun for me to start these things, but like FOMO, we bought it. Uh, Ryan and I went heads down on it for six months. And then a kettle on fire was kind of growing a lot. And I was like, hey, I need to step away. Um, and so I did that like wearable, the wearable challenge thing. We figured it out, did the first cohort 30 days. I was like in it, trying to figure it out. Uh, and then now Aaron is now running that and like he's doing a fantastic job. And so I think like getting in the trenches, figuring something out and then stepping away and letting someone else run with it is sort of the the approach that I've taken to getting some of these things off the ground. Yeah, I really like that because like same, I love the starting, the building, the these new things. And because we've stayed so lean, I do get stuck sort of in monotony with certain things, these projects that we're not going to let them go because they're still good. Yep. We still want to keep maintain them and keep rolling. But um, just just hearing that makes me makes me wonder like how we can consider maybe adjusting. Like maybe we need to to see how we can offload some of our stuff because yeah, it's I love that and starting the nonprofit doing all of that in this time. Um, that's phenomenal. How do you how do you differentiate between a side hustle and a business? Because it sounds like the, the other projects are are side hustles, but I mean, Kettle and Fire and uh, Perfect Keto are definitely like full fledged businesses. Yeah, uh, I think I think that like if you look at my past, I'm not necessarily very good at differentiating between them. Like I kind okay. of had a business on my hands with Kettle and Fire and like started another side project and became a business. Like <laughs> I, I think that it really depends. Um, yeah, it, it just it kind of depends. Like to some extent, you can see certain things that are uh just like the pace at which they're growing the amount of interest how the market's evolving where you're like you know this is probably going to be a great side project but not worth me like throwing my life at uh because it's not going to be like you know a several million dollar company um yeah i think i think that you just kind of see like these things sort of grow and you decide is this something that excites me it's interesting is it growing do i think i can make an impact here uh, and if you answer all those yes then like it might be a business worth throwing yourself at Mm -hmm. And when do you know when it's time to sell? Because you mentioned you had acquired one of the Shopify uh, apps and you've already sold that. Yeah. Yeah. So that one was, that one was interesting. I mean, it was like basically as a asset owner right now, uh, there's a lot, especially in software, uh, there's a lot of interest from people that want to like do this, like buy small software businesses type thing uh, and make, you know, 20 to 30% per year. And so for us, um, you know, we got a pretty good offer on that. We uh, 
yeah, it was like three-ish, three something times like profit. And we bought it at, I think it was like two times profit when it was about half the size. And so um, we got like basically a six X on in, in a two and a half year period. And so for us, we were just like, you know, we don't think this is gonna be a massive business. Uh, it's not like a passionate, I'm not like going to sleep, like, oh, I can't wait to wake up tomorrow and like work on this thing. Uh, it was just like a, a really solid investment in entrepreneurship experience. But, you know, I, at this time in my life, I was like, I'm totally happy to take the money, take the win um, and just kind of like go do something else. And so, cause it wasn't that interesting. We were like, let's sell it and go do something else. Like Ryan's now making a, a music album. I'm like investing in, in other things. So it's just kind of a, yeah, putting, putting our time and money where, where we're interested, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, you, you've really just taken with all of this, all of the experience, all of the knowledge, you have this master level, uh, like knowledge in entrepreneurship. But when you started, I mean, was it really the, uh, the company that was acquired by Rackspace? Was that really what set the stage for everything? I would say so. Yeah. I mean, it was specifically this guy that like, I mean, it, it's been a couple of things. Like I've mm -hmm. read a lot. I've, done side projects and tried to start businesses on the side literally since I was like 20. Um, and so it's been a lot of, of trying things and failing and like reading and talking to people about failures and all that. But I would say the, the single fastest thing that accelerated my growth was certainly working with this guy. Um, his name's Jonathan Siegel. He like was buying a bunch of these like software businesses in, uh, 2010, 2012 before this was like a cool thing to do. Um, and by the time he was like, 36 or 37, I think he'd sold four or five companies. Like, um, you know, not, not like Elon Musk style, but like mm -hmm. the guy was just like, had really good hit rates. He was very good at a very specific set of things. And like, I learned a ton from him around how to identify, grow, scale, manage, like do people, you know, sell businesses, all this sort of stuff. And so uh, I would say that that was probably the biggest accelerator for my career uh, just overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, apprenticeships. That's something that I yeah. think is highly underrated today. Like, because we can do everything online. We can learn what we want on YouTube and, yep. but being in the trenches with someone makes just a huge difference. Huge. Yeah. It was, it was massive for me. And especially I was like 22 at the time. Uh, and so I just, I didn't know anything. And so mm -hmm. working with someone that knew a lot of things was incredibly useful. Yeah. And so then you were out in San Francisco would mm -hmm. how important do you think that location was so wait actually was kettle and fire started when you were there or had he moved to mm -hmm. austin by then no i started there okay how important do you think that being in that community was uh in san francisco yeah i think that at the time it was incredibly important uh i think i do i still do think that like we'll see what happens post COVID. but mm -hmm. uh but i think san francisco is kind of like the Olympics of startups. It's like, if you want to be an Olympic athlete, like it's probably going to be hard to become an Olympic rower if you're in like Austin, Texas, where it's <laughs> like, you might have to go, I don't know where the best rowing, I don't know why I chose that at all, but like you probably have to go to like the one spot that uh, where like the best Olympic rowers train or where there's the best river or whatever it is. Um, and I think San Francisco is kind of like that for startups. Like, I think that for what, Kettle and Fire and like some of the the other side businesses I'm doing, like you can literally do them from anywhere. It's amazing. Um, but I do think that you learn a lot from 
being around people that like, even if you don't want to be an Olympian, the people that are striving for that goal, like they know their shit and they are obsessed with building companies and being in that environment for six years was like amazing for my, for my growth. Uh, just meeting people that all they think about is like how to grow a team, how to scale, how to raise money, how to like do all, you know, do growth marketing, all these things. Uh, was really, really tremendous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That inspiration is huge too. Just being yeah. surrounded by people who make you want to level up. Um, oh, yeah, sure. love that. How is Austin comparatively now? Because it feels like Austin is like mini San Francisco, just at least from the outside. Like I've been there a few times, but I've never lived in Austin. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I mean, there's a ton of entrepreneurs moving here. Uh, there's a ton of like great businesses here. It's definitely a better place to build a CPG business than, uh, San Francisco, just from like a cost and all, a bunch of other standpoints, but cost being yeah, like I mean, access, like what types of costs make it better? Uh, cost of living cost. Of oh, talent. gotcha. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like we, we had one, um, we were looking for like a director of growth, uh, in San Francisco and we were kind of debating between two guys. One guy lived in Austin another lived in SF, uh, was offering them both like 175. And the one guy, uh, was like, cool. Let me get back to you. I have another like offer that's coming in. He got an offer from LinkedIn for like 600 something. And oh, the dude's geez. like 32. <laughs> and so like you just, that cost doesn't exist anywhere outside of San Francisco, maybe in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, and so just like hiring talent, office, uh, taxes, like cost of living, everything makes it, it's much easier to build a company in Austin if you're, cause you're not competing against like Facebook, LinkedIn, and, and the latest like, like crazy VC funded startup that's coming out of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what type of staff then do you have sort of, do you have a physical location with people coming in and like how <clears throat> yeah. do you approach that? Yeah. So we have a corporate office. Um, half the team is remote. So like okay. no one has to come into the office. We just find that it's some people like to come in one to three days a week, uh, myself included. And so, yeah, we have an office here and we, we are staffed. Like if you looked at our our company, we look much more like a, like a tech company that's selling like an online product where we have a couple of people in operations, a lot of people in growth marketing, some people in sales, some people in finance, like, uh, it's a pretty normal sort of corporate, uh, corporate company at this point, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It does feel more like a tech company because you were, you were exclusively selling kettle and fire online. I'm not sure. I don't know as much yeah. about perfect keto. Um, did you follow oh, a similar keto approach? Still hundred percent online. Kettle oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, it's interesting because you bridge the gap. Rackspace being a tech company through and through, like hosting and whatnot, and then jumping over to packaged products. What were the main sort of takeaways between that you, the main things that you brought across that uh, divide? Yeah, I would say that uh, kind of back to my earlier point around like being in San Francisco, being in Silicon Valley is like the Olympics. Uh, I would say that they have. Silicon Valley and tech startups as a whole have spent so much time figuring out like how do we quickly run and scale, like how do we run and scale a business? And so I think that we brought a lot of those best practices um, or a lot of practices at least from uh, from the tech world into the kind of food startup world. Like I'm, I'm fairly certain that there are still not that many food companies that are using like OKRs uh, to inform like how they run the business, which is like a very popular management framework in tech. Uh, we also have like, we have multiple virtual assistants that help do any sort of repetitive process that is on the plate of someone on our team. Like that's probably not very common at Camels. 
Uh, and so there, there's sort of like some of these practices that we brought into the business that I think have been uh, really, really helpful and also just help differentiate us with uh, from other, other food brands out there. Yeah. So for someone who's just starting right now, whether no matter what their idea is, say they have a thousand dollars, no connection, like where would you think, where would you say they should start? Yeah, I think it depends a lot on what their goals are. Like if you want to build a massive company and like be Elon Musk, like go to Silicon Valley, try and like raise money and like play that game. If you want to like live in nature with a couple friends, you know, maybe a partner, uh, I think that like starting small and, and trying to like buy a business that's maybe doing somewhat well, but isn't well marketed or not well sold or their pricing is off or like any number of things. Um, you know, I think if I was to start over and just be like, okay, my goal for entrepreneurship over the next five years is just not to worry about money. Like I want to get 10 K a month coming in in something like that. Uh, I would probably go and try and buy a business. Like I would say, what are my skills? Like I'm okay at marketing, uh, or probably better than average at marketing. I can like probably buy a business that is below average at marketing, add my skills to that, grow, grow that. And like, that will be easier kind of taking something that's working, but not as well as it could be. Uh, that's going to be a much easier process than, and you'll learn a lot than starting from scratch, uh, which I think has a lot of, a lot of risk and can be a really hard thing to do out the gate. Uh, just cause like there, there's a whole nother art. It's like getting good at running a company is challenging itself, but also getting good at like identifying an opportunity executing on that opportunity, getting your timing right, lining up funding, all these sorts of things to get something off the ground is incredibly challenging. Um, yeah, so I think if I had $1,000 and just wanted to get into the game, trying to buy a company or, um, you know, work for sweat equity for someone that has something that's working okay, but not great is probably what I would do. Yeah, and there's that sort of idea founder fit where like something fits the person, but then if that idea isn't really marketable, um, it's mm -hmm. sort of, I think you actually wrote something about this, um, at some point in the past where it was ideas versus execution and yeah, yeah how people really, they sort of knocked down ideas because without execution, an idea is nothing. Um, sort of what, yep. but your outlook, I like that you were talking more about how the, the fit for the idea, is that correct? Is, is sort of more important even maybe than execution? Totally. I mean, I think that like. I think that people actually undervalue ideas. And I think that this is true because you have so many people that say they want to start a business, but don't. Uh, and I think that like finding the right idea is both, it's both a matter of like, is the timing and market and all these other conditions, do, are, is this a good idea? Uh, because Kettle and Fire, I think like Perfect Keto is probably a better example. Like those were ideas that, where we did not execute perfectly. Like we, we're learning a lot. We didn't hire a finance team until we were like a year and a half in, like never do that. Um, <laughs> and so we, we made a lot of mistakes, but like the core idea was good enough that we could assemble resources and sort of like learn on the job. Um, I think that was one thing. And, and the other thing I think that I see a good bit uh, is people will, people kind of underestimate. They go, oh man, I would love to make 10 grand a month doing anything. Uh, it's like, well, not really. I mean, like, you you really need to to start something you have to be excited enough about the idea or the space or like exceptionally money driven maybe uh <laughs> in order for you to like drop everything you're doing and just go all in on the idea like i think that if someone came in you know came in and said like i want to build a bone broth company 
but I really don't care about food and I don't care about health and I don't care about all these things that like I care about. I'm probably going to beat that person at building kettle and fire just because like, I love this shit. Like I love the food industry. I love thinking about health. I like really enjoy uh, this topic and like am excited by what we're building. And that means that I'm going to like work harder. I'm going to like form better connections for other people that care about this stuff. Uh, I'm going to be able to hire better because like I give a shit about this and I can recruit other people that care about it. Um, and I, and I think that that's something that people over or yeah, overlook sometimes. Yeah. And I imagine that's how you, you keep going because you keep adding more responsibilities, keep growing, keep building bigger okay. and better. But yeah, without that, uh, spark waking up in the morning, being excited to do something, it's really hard to get anywhere with any of these projects. Yeah. So, and um, it comes in yeah, for sure. And I don't want to take too much more of your time, but to swing back to the communal living. So I have friends who, whenever I start posting about something that I'm doing, working on whatever, they're like, oh, there's some idea there. You're, you're working out some sort of concept for maybe a business or a side hustle. Do you already see something in communal living that you could foresee doing? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I think so. I don't know if I would do it full time, but mm -hmm. there's definitely stuff to be done there. Um, I think that one of the things that I might like test at some point in the future is just figuring out if there's a way that you could pool or pair like 10 friends with real estate developers that are building like neighborhoods at spec and just kind of like match those people up. Like my dream, I think, would be to live in a neighborhood where like I have my own house with, you know, my uh, girlfriend and then like we have a bunch of our friends living in the same neighborhood. Like that'd be fucking awesome. So uh -huh. I think maybe doing something like that would be. Uh, would be fun <laughs> yeah for sure it's sort of that like the old school like commune vibe but modernized totally. completely for today with like what we exactly. actually want yeah exactly like i don't need to bang everyone like we, we can just like <laughs> do our own thing but like live near one another great i'm stoked about that <laughs> yeah i love it <laughs> cool well um that'll be all i'm not gonna take any more more of your time today where should people go to follow along with uh what you're up to i know you you blog and you're on social media yeah, so I'm at uh, justinmares.com. I uh, would love people would sign up for a newsletter. I'm also use Twitter at jwmares. Uh, those are probably the two best, two best places to find me. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So thank you so much again. This has been awesome. And yeah, man. Thanks so much oh, for having me. Appreciate yeah. it. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. You too. <laughs> I want to thank Justin for joining me on this episode. Be sure to check out his phenomenal bone broth, kettle and fire. You'll find it in all, all Whole Food stores and online you can also check out perfect keto and what he's up to at justinmares.com and on twitter at jwmares this episode as always is brought to you by built at built we help you get started online whether you want to start a blog or a business head on over to built.co that's byl.co to get started built your website built for you simply and if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or if you're watching on YouTube, click click subscribe and then that little bell icon. And if you're enjoying the show, please like let me know. Reach out on Twitter. I'm just at Jeff Saris. I'd love to love to know what you think and how you've been enjoying these episodes so far. And be sure to tell your friends. I mean, every little bit helps because we just want to reach as many people as we can. And that'll do it for this week. Again, I'm Jeff Saris. This has been starting now. And I'll see you next time.